and welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and today I am going to record a bonus episode to reflect a little bit on the conflicts among the left today and, quite frankly, during Alexandra Kolontai's time about the differences between what we might think of as vertical organization versus horizontal organization. As I'm sure many of my listeners know, Alexandra Kolontai was the spokesperson. She wrote a very influential pamphlet for the workers' opposition, which was a moment in the history of the early Soviet Union where she tried to advocate for the devolution of power to the workers, a sort of more anarcho-syndicalist kind of model, so that workers would be in control of their own productive units. She was brutally slapped down by both Lenin and Trotsky, betrayed by her own comrades, and she ended up being, as many Bolsheviks did during this period of time, a very vertical type of person in terms of thinking that there really did need to be a sort of disciplined core, a vanguard party that would lead society, that would sort of be the icebreaker, the spearhead of society to some kind of radical social change. Now, today for this bonus episode, I've invited somebody who completely disagrees with this point of view, more or less, with some caveats. I have with me here today an anarchist activist who has recently spent time in a pipeline resistance camp that tried to enact a sort of horizontal organizational politics. And I want to have a conversation to really reflect on the history of the left, certainly going back to the early years of the Soviet Union and the legacies of Lenin state and revolution and of the vanguard party, and reflect on the kind of current politics of leftist movements in the wake of Occupy Wall Street and in the wake of the current political moment that we're in today, where we're grappling with different ideas of how to organize politically to resist the powers that are very hierarchical and organized in a sort of traditional vertical way. So I'm going to turn it over uh, to my guest here. And I think the, the really interesting part of the conversation that we've been having is, at least for me, and it may be different for you, is the ways in which people today sort of think of vertical versus horizontal as a false dichotomy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So something that is really important to keep in mind is that verticality and horizontality is not something that is, uh, it's not an exclusive disjunction. This leads to the um, false perception that you have to commit to particular forms of governance within movement spaces when there are actually many more possibilities. And I think that this blindness to anything other than a highly polarized view leads to actually exactly the opposite of what we want to see happen. And certainly I've seen it play out that in the pursuit of 
a purely horizontal movement structure, the actual result is very authoritarian in nature. Right. Can you give a little bit more specific detail? I think for our listeners who haven't spent time in the kinds of spaces that you've spent time in, what does that actually look like in practice when you're trying to operationalize some sort of horizontal politics, but then you end up defaulting into a weird verticality that everybody was trying to avoid, but that ends up reasserting itself? What does that actually, how does that play out in the day-to-day? Yeah, so one of the ways that it's most obvious is there will be, at least in my experience, a lot of people talking about how we're all autonomous agents, um, autonomous actors in an anarchist space, and your actions are your own. And that sounds, that sounds really good. But in practice, certainly at this uh, resistance camp that I was just at, there was someone you know, with whom ultimate authority rested. Um, And that was partially the nature of um, that person owned the land that we were on and was responsible for kicking off the resistance in that particular location. And I heard a lot of people saying things about that, that, that normalized authority being held in the hands of one person Yet at the same time, claiming that ultimately we're all anarchists and we can all do whatever we want. But that's not really true. I mean, one of the things that we talked about earlier today that sort of made a big impression on me was how you were saying that in any given particular situation, like three people sitting around having a conversation, there is a hierarchy. There is a form of organization. And that one person at any given moment is a, is sort of in a position of authority by virtue of the fact that they are speaking. They have the floor. But that in a normal, fluid situation, authority moves like in a flexible way. Yeah. And that what's weird about authority is when it gets fixed, right? Yeah. And how do you, I guess, you know, this is the, this is the obvious problem that Kolontai was dealing with back in the early 20th century, and I think it's still a problem on the left. How do you keep authority dynamic? How do you resist the fixity of a particular kind of authority? And does the resistance of fixity actually sort of end up obliterating the recognition that authority and hierarchy in conversations and day-to-day situations is sort of a natural phenomenon and that it's okay as long as it's fluid and dynamic, but not when it gets fixed. I think that's the hard thing that I think a lot of people, you know, they have trouble wrapping their brains around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the resistance to this, the possibility of authority becoming fixed seems to be precisely what engenders the fixation of certain forms of authority. Um, because because there there is always an interplay between any time that multiple people are interacting, you have structures of organization that are naturally forming and they morph and they shift and uh, somebody may hold some form of power within that relation at any given moment and they may not the next. And one thing that we can do to uh, to prepare for this being a reality is 
simply accept that it's going to be a reality. Because when you, when, you, when you go into it saying, well, this is what's going to happen one way or another, then you can, you can actually head it off and create intentional structures where you say, in a very situation-specific manner, here's how we're going to organize this as a group and whatever endeavor you're trying to perform. You say, we're going to organize this in, in a certain way. And maybe we're going to disband that structure as soon as this particular endeavor is over. Maybe if it's a long-term structure, maybe we're going to have countervailing aspects of authority such that no one person is actually holding um, any kind of ultimate authority over anyone else. There is no ultimate arbiter. When you don't do that, when you say we don't want authority, and when that particularly becomes a proxy for no structure, no intentional organization, then what ends up happening is the same things that we are trying to resist, the same hierarchies that are present in society more generally, simply reassert themselves within the context of whatever it is that you are doing, and you're completely unprepared to to do anything about that, to confront that in any meaningful way, because what are you going to do? Start organizing now? If that's been taken off the table from the very beginning, then it's it's basically just giving up in the face of those hierarchies. Right. And so it becomes very difficult to fight hierarchies of power and authority with the tools of non-hierarchy and non-authoritarianism, because by the nature of resisting those authorities by not creating structures, as you said, you actually end up defaulting to sort of latent structures that are present in society. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think an example of that that did play out at the camp, and this is less of a, this is less of something to do with, the, you know, the person who is ultimately in charge of the camp, but just in terms of our day-to-day organization, there were a lot of building projects that needed to get done. Mm-hmm. Construction projects like housing and things like that, yeah. And there was not a lot of intentional decision-making around how are we going to, you know, make sure that all of this happens? Are we going to have people who are on point for certain projects? Are we going to, how are we going to do record-keeping so that when one person leaves, um, somebody else can take over? And and essentially all of these questions were, went unanswered and Mm. some of them even unasked and what ended up happening is a you had a bunch of white dudes running the construction teams why is that it's because of societal conditioning around who is expected to have uh knowledge and skills in that area and when in the absence of intentional decision making about how you are going to organize yourself towards a goal then that kind of societal expectation is exactly what will manifest over and over again um, and reify the same power structures that we see more broadly. Right, which is interesting, right? Because the the big problem, obviously, that Kohentai faced and which I think all leftist movements in general still face today is the fear of the authoritarian vanguard party. Mm -hmm. Right. The idea that there will be a sort of core group 
of, let's face it, usually heterosexual white men um, who, are, who are sort of spearheading a sort of disciplined action and organization that helps whatever, capture the state, begin to redistribute resources, creating the administrative decrees and the legal structures to reshape society. And that that, therefore, hardens, right, into yeah. something that cannot be challenged, which is precisely what happened, right, in the early right, part of right, the Soviet of Union. It can't be challenged, and then we get Stalin, right? But so, so I completely understand why there's an aversion to that. Mm-hmm. But I think... The challenge then is if you just say, okay, never again, we're never going to have the Vanguard Party, we're never going to go there, and then you default to this sort of non-hierarchical, non-organizational structure, then you're completely vulnerable, right? So it seems like there's a pendulum swinging here between two extremes. Is there no middle ground? There is middle ground, almost in the sense that there are not, in fact, two poles between which the pendulum can swing. Ultimately, despite the appeal, the idea of a fully horizontal, non-organized movement is nonsensical. It's, It's not a real thing. There is always organization. We are always organizing even moment to moment, as as I was saying before. So it's not really that we have a pendulum swing away from the vertical hierarchical form of the state that we saw with the Soviet Union towards a non-organized horizontal movement. The organization is still happening. It's just not being acknowledged as such. Uh, And when we see failures of movements to persist over time, like certainly we saw play out with Occupy, then we really need to start asking ourselves, okay, why are we saying this over and over again? And, And I think that ultimately the alternative dare I say, the third way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bold, yeah. (laughs) The the alternative here is starting by accepting that we are interacting with structures and organization, and then setting out from the get-go to create power structures in which um, reciprocality is baked in. Mm -hmm. From the outset there is the ability of anyone who is involved to exercise control over the process of what's happening and over any kind of authority that is created. Not to say that anyone should have equal say in, you know, deciding what gets done at a given moment when, you know, building a shed, but that you need to have a mechanism by which the person who is maybe organizing where materials end up for building the shed can be removed. Um, Mm. Or if not removed, disregarded in some way. (laughs) Right, right. But I mean, you know, so as somebody who tends to be a little bit more in favor of structures and who has particularly paid attention to the history of not only socialist movements more broadly speaking, but also feminist movements, more broadly speaking. And feminist movements in particular have been very open to creating avenues for challenging the authority of any particular person who tries to set themselves up as a spokesperson for the movement. Mm -hmm. 
Ultimately, what happened, if we look at the history, for instance, of the red stockings uh, with Shulamith Firestone in New York and the radical feminists in the 60s, is that the entire movement cannibalized itself Yeah. by constantly, mm-hmm. re- every time there was a leader and somebody who was actually functioning and, or- and organizing and getting things done, there would be a challenge and then a new person would come in and the old person would be bitter about being removed and wouldn't share their knowledge so there wasn't any continuity. And, and then as soon as the new person got established, there was another challenge. And basically the whole thing just ended up being one long internal fight among yeah. activists who were trying to be purer and better than the last person. And that to me doesn't seem particularly effective at running a social movement. Yeah, it's, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is really easy. Uh, yeah. And I think that in order to understand it, we can look to people not wanting that calcification of authority, but not knowing what to do otherwise. Right. And so they go from one thing to another, kind of pushing off the trappings of authority when they occur, but again, without any intentionality behind how movements are structured such that that doesn't immediately begin happening again. And to some degree, this actually comes down to just skills and stuff that we aren't taught living in the very hierarchical capitalist society that, that we live in and that we grow up in. And I would recommend a book called Mutual Aid by Dean Spade. It's published by Verso, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. It was originally Kropotkin, right, who wrote Mutual Aid. Yeah, so. <laughs> and, this is, and so, so this is not a, not a revision mm-hmm. of... Um, it's not a revision, but a more recent take on it um, that came out early in the pandemic. And it's got a lot of tips on how to concretely run consensus-based decision-making processes and mutual aid collectives and talking about the challenges that are likely to be faced, particularly around co-optation, where anybody who perceives themselves to be in a position of authority is liable to be very vulnerable to being co-opted by existing power structures. And so there are a lot of specifics that, you know, some of them will be more applicable to some groups than others, but it does kind of come down to acknowledging up front, we need to head this off at the pass. Mm-hmm. We need to prevent hierarchy from becoming the default by virtue of burying our heads in the sand. Um, and so we're going to adopt specific practices to avoid this happening. And it's not going to be 100% successful all the time. We cannot shake this stuff out, you know, just say, oh, well, we're just going to do things better now. Mm. It's very, very hard. Obviously, people have been really struggling with it, and it's not because people are stupid. It's because it's a hard problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's the most profound sort of way to end this podcast is that it is a hard problem. It was a hard problem in 1917, and it's a hard problem in 2022. And, you know, there are pressing issues and projects that we all need to pursue collectively. And I fear sometimes that we spend so much time figuring out how to pursue them collectively 
in an effective and sustainable way mm -hmm. that we end up not actually pursuing them. That's it, true. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes all about process and procedure and not actually about action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the take-home message here is that it's just a really difficult problem. Thank you so much for sharing you. your thoughts and uh, want to recommend, you want to shout out this book? Yeah, I do. There's a really good book on this topic called Neither Vertical Nor Horizontal by Rodrigo Nunez. It came out in 2021, also with Verso. Um, this is, it's, it's very eye-opening when it comes to thinking about this stuff because we do have a very odd discourse around this. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking at it from a step removed, you start saying, hey, Maybe we're not even thinking about this right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And as always, keep up the good fight. Yeah.